morning, everyone. Welcome to Life Church, and welcome to all of you who have joined us for this online series called The God Questions. Now, today we're going to shift gears in this God Question series from uh, talking about questions about God to talking about questions about our lives in relation to God. These questions are just as prevalent, and they are just as important. So, here we go. In 1941, President Franklin Roosevelt delivered the State of the Union speech, and uh, it, the closing words of that speech became known as the Four Freedoms Speech. It was a tumultuous time in the world, and the U.S. was about to enter the fray of World War II. And the circumstances of that day caused these words about the Four Freedoms to land with great, great power. FDR said it like this. Here are his words. In the future days, which we seek to make secure, we look forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms. The first one that he talked about was the freedom of speech, that citizens might express themselves with freedom. The second one was the freedom of worship, that each person was free to worship in their own way according to their own conscience. The third freedom was the freedom from want, and this was referring to his hope for enough provision for each and every person in our nation. And last was the freedom from fear, and that despite whatever is going on in our world, we don't have to fear, we shouldn't fear. Now, this was his hope and his vision, not just really for America, but for the whole world. And it's an honorable hope, it's a worthwhile hope. And while all, all four of these freedoms are foundational, we're gonna zero in on just one today, on the freedom of worship. Um, it's gonna be a very, very brief message. We're gonna look at this freedom of worship issue. And we're gonna do that by looking at two very important words. And those words are truth and freedom. And if you're watching this at home, say those words with me, truth and freedom. All right, uh, a while back, I was talking with one of our Life Church members, um, and she told me about a conversation that she had with a friend of hers who goes to a different church, part of a different denomination. And this friend told her that because she was not in his particular denomination, that she was going to hell. Well, that's helpful. Maybe, just maybe, that's not the best way to launch into a conversation about spiritual things. There is gonna be a lot of people who find out in heaven that smugness is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now, I wanna make a couple things really, really uh, very, very clear today. I can't cover everything I, I wish I could, but a couple of things I wanna make real clear. And undoubtedly what I'll say is going to perturb some in one camp or another. Sorry. The first word here is truth, truth. There are some non-negotiables when it comes to belief and truth. It does matter what you believe. It does matter how you live your life. All roads do not lead to heaven. And if someone tells you that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, don't buy what they're selling. Jesus said some very provocative words in John chapter 14 and verse 6 when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one can come to the Father except through me? This is offensive to lots of people, especially Americans who feel like options and preferences are guaranteed through the Constitution or something like that. Um, being narrow-minded or closed-minded in our day can sometimes be viewed as worse than murder. 
Now, I have this to say about that. Think about some of the words that are used in these types of discussions. Uh, one of the most common being the phrase, open-minded, open-minded. Often the person with spiritual convictions is seen as being closed-minded, while others are seen as being open-minded. But what's interesting to me is that at the very center of the Christian faith is the assumption that this is not all there is, that there's more to life than just the material world, that existence is not limited to what we can see and taste and feel and touch and hear or observe. One of the central assertions of the Christian faith is that there is more. There's more. Now, those who oppose that insist that this world is all there is. Only what we can measure or see with our eyes is actually real. There is nothing else. But which perspective is really more closed-minded? Which one is more open-minded? Well, the Christian worldview is so much more open-minded. But you see how this gets twisted. All right, let's go back to the Jesus is the only way issue. Many people can say that God is cold or narrow because he's only allowed one way to get to heaven. But think about it in these terms. Undoubtedly, there are some folks that are watching today that have had appendicitis in the past. And you know, as well as anyone, that the only way to get relief and to save your life is to have your appendix removed. Now, you might say to the doctor, Doc, is there anything I can do to avoid surgery? What would the doctor say to you? Well, not if you want to live. <laughs> That's a very narrow answer. And not once would you think he was being cold because he gave you only one option. All right, look at it this way. Suppose with me for just a moment or two here. Suppose that once upon a time, a good and loving God created people in his own image. Suppose he gave those people free will so they could make their own choices as they saw fit. Suppose he set them up in a perfect environment with plenty of food and sunshine and interesting things to do. And suppose he gave them just one restriction, warning them that if they violated that one restriction, they would lose the gift of life that he had just given them. Well, suppose they violated that one restriction just because they felt like it. Now suppose that instead of taking their lives, God made provision for them and forgave them. Then suppose those people's descendants repeated that pattern over and over and over again. But then suppose that God bestowed special gifts upon one particular nation so they could be an example and they could know God deeply and they could show all others a way to, to break this destructive pattern. But suppose that chosen nation rebelled as well. Now suppose time after time, God forgave this nation and liberated them from the disasters and messes that they'd gotten themselves into, and then sent special messengers to them. Suppose these people then killed the messengers. Suppose the people turned their backs on God and invented other gods and other religions and worshipped idols that they carved out of stone or things that they found in the world instead of following the one true good God. And suppose in an ultimate act of redemption, God himself comes to them in a human body, in human form, not to condemn them, but to redeem them, to save them. Suppose, instead of welcoming him, these people rejected and tortured and killed him. 
But then suppose God accepted the death of his son as payment for the sins of the very people who put him to death. Then suppose God offers his son's murderers complete forgiveness, transcendent peace, and eternal life as a free gift. And suppose God said, I only ask one thing of you in return, that you honor my son who gave his life for you. Now, if God did all that, would you be willing to say, God, you're not being fair. You haven't done enough. I want more options. Friends, the wonder is not why is there only one way, but why is there any way at all? Truth matters, friends, it matters. Faith and belief needs to be anchored in truth or it is on shaky ground. Jesus was very clear when he said those words in John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Because the good news about that is that all are welcome. All are welcome. Man, woman, Jew, Gentile, free or not, brown, red, black, white, doesn't matter. All are welcome with Jesus. So, truth is the first word that we're looking at today. In America, we are free to worship with great freedom, as we choose, according to our own conscience. We have freedom of religion. But it matters what you choose, and we'll be held accountable for the choices that we make. All right, now the second word we're going to look at here is the word freedom. Freedom. Which brings us to the million-dollar question. Is the United States a free nation, or is it a Christian nation? The simple answer that I'll take just a few minutes to explain is this. We are a free nation that was founded by leaders who were largely, but not exclusively, Christians. The Constitution that governs us lays out the foundation for free citizens, not ways to legislate Christianity. There's a good reason for that, and it is this. It cannot be done. It cannot be done. And in my understanding of this word right here, the legislation of God's word upon a nation is not even something that God himself desires. It misses the point and would set up a structure that guarantees missing the point. Now, listen, I, I spent almost 10 years in the presence of people who were what I call Christians who taught the Americhristian way, which really might be more closer to a cult than actual Christianity. But in it, Revolutionary War America was overly romanticized and distorted, and it blended Christianity and patriotism to a degree that almost put halos on the Minutemen and angel wings on the Founding Fathers. Oh, please understand, I, I'm a patriot. I have tremendous respect and appreciation for their founding fathers and the price that they paid for our freedom. Um, I have defended them when folks attack them these days, which kind of is in vogue to do these days. I think these folks were remarkable men and women, not perfect men and women, but remarkable men and women who paved the way for the America that we now enjoy. This is my country and I'm a patriot, but friends, American and Christian are not synonymous, not even close. Jesus said these words, my kingdom is not of this world. 
The U.S. Constitution is a secular document. While it references God and the Creator, it comes in pur purposefully nonspecific terms. It contains no mention of Christianity or of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Constitution refers to religion only twice in the First Amendment where it bars laws respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, and then in Article 6, which, in which it prohibits religious tests for people seeking public office. Now, listen, the Founding Fathers did not create a secular government because they disliked religion, not at all. On the contrary, most of them, many of them, were believers themselves. Yet they were well aware of the dangers of a church-state union. They had studied it and even seen firsthand the difficulties that church-state partnerships had spawned in Europe. Beyond that, during the American colonial period, alliances between religion and government actually produced oppression and tyranny on our very own shores. For example, many colonies had provisions limiting public office to only the Trinitarian Protestants and other types of laws in place designed to prop up the religious leanings of the politically powerful. Some colonies had officially established churches and they taxed all the citizens to support them, whether these citizens wanted to give or not. Dissenters faced imprisonment, torture, even death. How is that different from the religious oppression that they left behind in Europe? What they wanted was freedom. But still, for the past 230 years or so, there have been regular attempts to write in laws that define America as a Christian nation. And while the notion is admirable and it's well-intentioned, it misses the point in so many ways it's difficult to name them all. Now, here's just a few ways in which it misses the point. First, Christianity cannot be legislated. It cannot. Jesus himself brought spirituality from outer laws to the inward heart. It's not meant to be legislated. And even if it could be legislated, whose version of Christianity gets enforced? Plenty of our founding fathers were Freemasons. Do we wish that they'd made laws according to their beliefs? I mean, which strain, which theological strain of Christianity gets the top spot? And do you think there would be any jockeying for that kind of power? Well, what about penalties for not being a Christian? Fines? Tickets? Prison? What about tithing? Giving? Does it just become an involuntary tax? I mean, if we're going to use the Bible as civic law and Israel as an example, well, they had not just one tithe, they had multiple tithes. What about evangelism? If you don't speak about your faith to other people, are you fined? Are you penalized? It all gets a little woogity when you blend religion and government. This has not gone well in the past. Now, it is true that some of our nation's founders believed that the government should endorse Christianity, but that viewpoint soon became a losing proposition. In Virginia, Patrick Henry argued in favor of tax support for Christian churches, but he and his allies were in the minority and they eventually lost that battle. Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and their allies, along with the state's religious groups, ended Virginia's established church and they helped establish this Statute for Religious Liberty, which was a 1786 law guaranteeing religious freedom for all. 
Now, Jefferson's and Madison's viewpoint also carried the day when the Constitution and later the Bill of Rights were written. Had an officially Christian nation been the intent and the goal of our founding fathers, that concept would appear in the Constitution. It does not. Instead, our nation's governing document ensures religious freedom for everyone. Now, some pastors back then, I will say this, some pastors back then who favored this church-state union, they were outraged and they preached sermons saying that the U.S. would not be a successful nation because its constitution did not give preferential treatment to Christianity. But many more and many others welcomed this structure of freedom and they praised the Constitution and the First Amendment as the true protectors of liberty. Now, President George Washington, in a famous 1790 letter to a Jewish congregation in Rhode Island, they celebrated the fact that the Jews had full freedom of religious worship in America. Here's what he wrote. All possess a like liberty of conscience and immunities of citizenship. What we should fight for is freedom and to keep religious freedom. And while the notion of being a Christian nation seems appealing on the surface, it can and would go south in a New York minute. Around the globe, people still dwell under oppressive regimes where religion and government are commingled. This is one reason why countless people are lining up to get into the United States, and the only people lining up to get out are the Hollywood types who never seem to have the guts to actually do it. Now, while I don't love all the decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court, here is one that can bring us a big sigh of relief. Here's a decision they made. Here's the quote. When the underlying principle has been examined in the crucible of litigation, the court has unambiguously concluded that the individual freedom of conscience protected by the First Amendment embraces the right to select any religious faith or none at all. A citizen of the United States who believes in the great commandment and the great commission that is found in this word ought to be the biggest fan of a religiously free nation. It's in a free nation that we are guaranteed to be able to exercise those calls to faithfulness and obedience. We can do it freely and we can do it joyfully. What a blessing it is to live in a place where freedom is valued and freedom is enjoyed. I thank God for it, and I thank God for each of you with whom I get to enjoy that freedom. We're grateful for what God has given us here. Why don't we take a moment and pray. Lord, we are grateful. We want to express our gratitude to you for the blessing of living in this great nation. We're not perfect, Lord, but I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to be good and godly citizens of this great nation. Lord, help us to appreciate and understand what you've given us with the freedom of worship. What a blessing. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I miss seeing you in person. Can't wait till we get back to our joyful gatherings together. But until that time, let me leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.